Hey there, it's Kathy. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to History of the 90s early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. What do you think of when you hear this? Well, your answer might depend on how old you are. What if I say, all right, stop, collaborate and listen? Now you know what I'm talking about. Ice Ice Baby by Vanilla Ice. You might think that song is a joke, but like it or not, Ice Ice Baby played a major role in the evolution of rap music. If you were playing a game of trivia and the question came up, which artist was responsible for the first rap song to reach number one on the Billboard music charts, you might shout out some of these. LL Cool J, Dr. Dre, Tupac, or Snoop Dogg. Well, you'd be wrong. Vanilla Ice, the man with the glittery parachute pants and bleach-blonde pompadour-styled hair. The man responsible for what some called one of the most ridiculous albums ever released was actually the first rapper to have a number one song on the Billboard charts with his runaway hit, Ice Ice Baby. I'm Kathy Kinzora, and on this episode of History of the 90s, we look back at the complicated legacy of the song and the artist that finally put rap on top and in the process, introduced it to the mainstream in a way that no other rappers had managed to do. To understand how all of this happened, let's go back to the late 80s, when Vanilla Ice was still Robert Van Winkle. The high school dropout was living in Dallas, working at a car wash. And like many young people at the time, he was obsessed with breakdancing. Eventually, he built up quite a reputation as a dancer. Earthquake Floyd Brown, one of the songwriters who would eventually work with Van Winkle, told the New York Times that everybody knew him for his feet. He would demolish other dancers. According to Van Winkle, every Friday and Saturday night, he would join a big crowd of people in a parking lot to work on his moves. He was usually one of the only white guys in the group, and that's how he earned his nickname, Vanilla. Van Winkle also hung out at a club called City Lights in South Dallas, which had a largely black clientele. One night after he was dared to go on stage, he so impressed the club's manager that he was asked to perform as a regular dancer. Soon, he was dancing and rapping regularly on stage, and the mostly black crowds cheered him on, chanting, Go, white boy, go. Initially, he went by Vanilla MC, but changed that to Vanilla Ice. After appearing in a talent show at City Lights in 1987, Ice signed a contract with club owner Tommy Kwan, who would act as his manager. Soon, Vanilla Ice was rubbing shoulders with a who's who of the hip-hop community, opening up for acts that came to the club, including NWA, Public Enemy, The DOC, Tone Loke, and Two Live Crew. Kwan eventually paid for some studio time so Ice could record an album, called Hooked, which included Ice Ice Baby and a version of the song Play That Funky Music. Drop this one for the VIP crew. But Quan had no luck getting a record company interested in a white rapper. So he released Ice's debut album on his own label, Ichiban Records, and reportedly borrowed $8,000 to have a video made for Ice Ice Baby. The first single they released was Play That Funky Music. 
The song didn't get much traction, but then a radio DJ in Georgia decided to flip over the record and play the B-side. If there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Check out the hook while my DJ revolves it. Other DJs did the same, and soon phones were ringing off the hook at radio stations requesting Ice Ice Baby. The lyrics described a drive-by shooting and Ice's rhyming skills. The bass line was borrowed from the Queen David Bowie song, Under Pressure, and the chorus, Ice Ice Baby, is also borrowed from somewhere else. Ice Ice Baby is actually the signature chant used by the black fraternity Alpha Phi Alpha, Another phrase in the song was also borrowed from Black culture. Word to your mother. According to the Urban Dictionary, word to your mother is a play on the phrase word to the mother, which was a popular reference to Africa or the motherland in the 80s. Even though Ice sounded kind of ridiculous saying it, it did become one of his signature phrases. Yo, man, let's get out of here. Word to your mother. When Ice Ice Baby was released on Kwan's label Ichimon Records, the songwriting credits went to a few people, including Vanilla Ice and a guy by the name of Mario Chocolate Johnson. Remember that name, because Johnson's going to play an important part in this story in a little bit. As the song was gaining momentum, SBK Records, which was part of EMI Music Publishing, took notice and bought the rights to the album. SBK repackaged it and released it under the new name To The Extreme in September 1990. The SBK version did not give credit to Mario Chocolate Johnson. Let me pause Ice's story for a quick minute. Before Vanilla Ice signed with SBK Records, Chuck D from Public Enemy tried to get him on Def Jam Records. This was back in 88 when Vanilla Ice opened for Public Enemy at City Lights in Dallas. SBK had Boy George, Wilson Phillips, and John Cicada on their label, which seems like pretty good company. But in terms of hip-hop credibility, Def Jam was everything. Co-founded by Rick Rubin and Russell Simmons, the label included rap pioneers like LL Cool J, Public Enemy, and of course, Beastie Boys, the white rap group whose first album was also considered a joke by critics. But they were eventually embraced by the hip-hop culture something that Vanilla Ice never managed to do. So you have to wonder, what might have happened to Vanilla Ice if he signed with Def Jam instead of SBK? Okay, let's forget about the what-ifs and get back to what actually happened. Beginning in September 1990, Vanilla Ice went on tour to promote his album To The Extreme as the opening act for MC Hammer. At the time, Hammer was riding his own wave of success. You can't touch this. His album, Please Hammer, Don't Hurt Him, was top of the charts, even though he too was dismissed by some in the hip-hop community as just another pop novelty act. As the tour progressed through September and October, Ice Ice Baby was climbing the charts, and the popularity of Vanilla Ice started to overshadow his headliner, MC Hammer, which reportedly caused some tension between the two performers. By November 3rd, 1990, when Ice Ice Baby became the first rap song to hit number one on the Billboard pop chart, there seemed to be no stopping the success of Vanilla Ice. From a high school dropout washing cars in Dallas to having the first number one hip-hop single on the Billboard charts, 
It was the ultimate Cinderella story. What could possibly go wrong? Well, everything, that's what. While on tour with Hammer, Vanilla Ice had talked in interviews about running with street gangs and nearly being stabbed to death in a fight. He even refused to reveal his real name, claiming he wanted to protect his family from possible gang threats. The rapper's first press biography, released by SBK Records, also suggested that he grew up in a lower-class Miami neighborhood, went to a predominantly black high school with two live crews, Luther Campbell, and was a national motocross champion. At first, no one questioned the details of his life, but as Ice's album started streaking up the charts, reporters in Miami and in Dallas decided to check into the rapper's background. And eight days after Ice Ice Baby hit number one, the Dallas Morning News published a story that basically called BS on the whole thing. The Dallas Daily News found out that Vanilla Ice had in fact attended a high school in Carrollton, Texas, a suburb of Dallas. And for the first time, the public learned his real name was Robert Van Winkle. And a rep for the American Motorcycle Association said its records did show a racer named Robert Van Winkle from Carrollton, Texas, but he never won any national titles. As the story picked up steam, spreading to news outlets around the world, the finger-pointing started. SBK Records said that the bio was written by a freelancer with information they received from Vanilla Ice, and they didn't question it. Vanilla Ice said he didn't provide the information for the bio. He said manager Tommy Kwan had made it up. Kwan fired back that Ice approved everything that was sent to the record company. Whoever was to blame, the damage was done. The rapper's credibility was destroyed. There was no way he would ever get the respect and acceptance from the hip-hop community that he wanted. It didn't help that not long after Vanilla Ice's fake background story broke, there was another pop music fraud that shocked the world. In November 1990, the guys from the German pop duo Milli Vanilli admitted they had not sung a single note on their Grammy-winning album. A story we covered back on episode 13 of History of the 90s, in case you're interested. Really, the two cases of Milli Vanilli and Vanilla Ice are totally different. Fake singing versus fake bio, not the same. But because they happened around the same time, Vanilla Ice got thrown in the same trash heap as Rob Pilatus and Fab Morvan. I'm not saying Vanilla Ice or his management or whoever was right to lie about his background, but things were pretty different back then. Today, a rapper's background doesn't really matter the same way it did in the 90s. Just look at the success of Drake, the former child actor born and raised in a Canadian suburb. His squeaky clean past, not really a big deal. Vanilla Ice became the butt of jokes for a couple of reasons, but initially it was because he lied about his background. If he or his record company didn't feel they needed to invent some street cred so he would be taken seriously, he wouldn't have been caught up in a scandal that started his downward trajectory. As legendary rapper Rakim said, it's not where you're from, it's where you're at. Despite the controversy about his background, Vanilla Ice initially continued to sell records. And in January 1991, he even won the American Music Award for favorite new pop rock artist, beating out Mariah Carey and Wilson Phillips. Vanilla Ice went on stage to accept the award wearing his signature American flag satin jacket. 
With his arm around his manager, Tommy Kwan, he made this memorable speech. Word to your mother and the people who try to hold me down and talk bad about me, kiss my white butt. Word to your mother. You can hear there was a mix of boos and cheers from the crowd when Vanilla Ice was accepting his award. But it was all cheers and screams from the crowd when Ice, along with four dancers, a DJ and a drummer, performed his hit song for the AMA audience. All right, stop. All right, stop. 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 All right, stop. Collaborate and Ice is back with my brand new invention. Something grabs a hold of me. Ice and the dancers are wearing royal blue satin parachute pants with satin jackets that have huge shoulder pads. The performance is like a non-stop combination of breakdancing and high-intensity aerobics. And Vanilla Ice is definitely not lip-syncing. When I found it recently on YouTube, I literally couldn't stop watching it. I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to check it out. It's worth it, trust me. After the AMA win and performance, Vanilla Ice appeared on the Arsenio Hall show, where the host didn't pull any punches, questioning him about his fake backstory and touching on another controversial subject. You know, I, I know a lot of uh, a lot of black rappers are probably angry because some of the white people screaming didn't buy a rap until you did it, until they saw a vanilla face on the cover of an album. That probably makes them angry because if it, it makes them angry you know you're angry it's not my fault mm-hmm. did i have anything to do with that so no they should dog the people <laughs> they, 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 what they're saying is they're showing their own jealousy man that's all it is you saw flavor slave you know me and him we're homies uh is that why you brought him out just to show you have a black supporter and <laughs> no i brought him out because he's a friend of mine the issue of race cannot be ignored when telling the story of vanilla ice to put it simply Ice was accused of ripping off black culture. Today, we would call him a culture vulture, a name that Black Twitter has used recently to describe Post Malone. It means someone who doesn't understand the music or the culture and is simply using it as a way of cashing in. The same was said about Elvis Presley and other white musicians in the 50s and 60s who appropriated rock and roll music from its black founders, which is why Vanilla Ice was accused of being the Elvis of rap something he addressed on Arsenio. Whether I like it or not, it's, it's bringing rap music up, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm putting it in front of people that, that never even considered listening to rap music. Yeah. And now they're considering it, and, and, it's, and it's bringing rap music up. You know, rap music is here to stay. Do no matter have, what uh, color it is, I'm not the Elvis of rap. That's another thing, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Vanilla Ice. I'm not no Elvis Presley. You know? Music critic Robert Hilburn wrote in the LA Times in 1991 that suggesting Vanilla Ice is the Elvis of rap is an absurd suggestion because there is no sign that Ice possesses even a trace of Presley's great musical vision or raw talent. Ouch. It wasn't just that Vanilla Ice was white. It was also that his type of rap was homogenized in a way to appeal to mainstream audiences. And that didn't sit well with the hip-hop community. Dan Sharness wrote in the legendary hip-hop magazine The Source that many of us die-hard New York hip-hop heads have been having a lot of sleepless nights lately. Hammer's been a nuisance, but Vanilla Ice? Ugh, our worst nightmare. To those folks who think of themselves as guardians of real hip-hop culture, that record sounded like rap's death knell. John Schechter, the editor of The Source, was even more to the point. 
He said in an interview that Vanilla Ice is a cultural, musical, and artistic crime with no talent. Schechter went on to say, quote, Ice is probably going to sell more with one record than someone like Boogie Down Productions will do in his lifetime. There was a lot of frustration and anger over that in the hip-hop community. Part of the frustration was because it seemed like the deck was stacked in the favor of Vanilla Ice. SBK Records promoted Ice in a way that pure hip-hop artists were not promoted at the time. While critically acclaimed Black rappers like Public Enemy, LL Cool J, and the Jungle Brothers struggled for exposure, Vanilla Ice was everywhere. Few radio stations at the time were regularly playing rap music, but radio stations had no problem playing Vanilla Ice, which some say smelled like racism. And in some cases, the record company's promotional tactics were a bit shady. Apparently, when Ice Ice Baby hit number one, vinyl and cassette copies of the single suddenly disappeared. And this forced fans to buy the whole album, and that drove sales of the album through the roof. As Vanilla Ice was taking a pounding in the press for being a pop novelty act with a made-up backstory, behind the scenes, Ice had a couple of other major problems that came with his success. First one had to do with the use of that bass line from the Queen David Bowie song, Under Pressure. Today, there's an established legal protocol for any artist that wants to reuse a portion of someone else's song. But sampling in the 80s and into 1990 was a bit like the Wild West. It was common to use a piece of a song without permission, and that's what Vanilla Ice did. Initially, when members of Queen heard Ice Ice Baby, they didn't take it seriously. Guitarist Brian May said in a 1991 interview that he didn't think the song was that good, so he wasn't that worried about anyone listening to it. But then the song went to number one. May said that Vanilla Ice was a naughty boy for not asking the band if he could use the song, but still, he didn't think there was anything they could do about it. Hollywood Records, who owned Queen's catalog at the time, thought differently. They sued SBK Records, and eventually the case was settled out of court for an undisclosed amount. Brian May and Queen turned out to be the least of the rapper's problems. Someone else with a much scarier reputation was also less than pleased with Vanilla Ice. In 1990, rap outlaw Suge Knight had not yet founded his label Death Row Records. He was doing a bunch of other stuff, including representing a rapper by the name of Mario Chocolate Johnson. Remember that name from earlier? He was one of the people credited on the first release of Ice Ice Baby. Turns out Johnson, who used to hang out at City Lights in Dallas, had helped write Ice Ice Baby and had not been credited or received any royalties on the version released by SBK Records. When Suge Knight found out, he started to put the pressure on Vanilla Ice to get a cut of the song. He began showing up wherever Ice was. And at six foot four and 330 pounds, the ex-NFL player who started in two games for the Los Angeles Rams was an intimidating figure. To make matters worse, he usually had a bunch of other big guys with him. Legend has it that Knight and two bodyguards showed up at the Palm in West Hollywood where Ice was eating. After shoving Ice's bodyguards aside, Knight sat down in front of the rapper, staring at him before asking, 
how you doing? Similar intimidating incidents were repeated on several other occasions, including alleged attempts to lure Vanilla Ice into a van filled with Bloods and Crips. Ice said it felt like Knight knew where he was at all times. Things came to a head when Suge Knight showed up at Vanilla Ice's hotel suite on the 15th floor of the Bellage Hotel. Accompanied by Mario Chocolate Johnson and six other men, including a member of the Oakland Raiders. Once again, looking to get a piece of Ice Ice Baby. In a 1996 interview with the ABC News show Primetime Live, Vanilla Ice said that Knight and the other men roughed up his bodyguard and several members of his entourage. Then Knight took Vanilla Ice out onto the 15th floor balcony. He had me look over the edge, show me how high I was up there. You scared? (laughs) I needed to wear a diaper on that day. (laughs) I was very scared. Knight then told Ice to sign over a percentage of the song, which equaled about $4 million at the time, but grew to an estimated $180 million. I've watched this interview, and at no time does Vanilla Ice say that Suge Knight dangled him over the balcony by his feet. But that's the story that circulated for years. Suge Knight, who has a notoriously violent criminal history, denies the story completely. Mob James, who was an associate of Suge Knight and was there at the time, says they did punk people for contracts and money, but he doesn't recall the balcony incident. And Vanilla Ice has backtracked since the original interview. He said in recent years that the story got blown out of proportion. Suge Knight did not hang him over the balcony, and in fact, Knight was cordial and nice about the whole thing. As nice as you can be when you're strong-arming people for contracts, I guess. One thing is for sure, Suge Knight used his cut of the royalties from Ice Ice Baby to start his record company, Death Row Records, which was the driving force behind gangster rap and rap icons like Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, and Tupac. So technically, the pop rap that hardcore rappers hated had helped to build the biggest acts in a genre that became a well-respected international phenomenon. Vanilla Ice may have started out as someone who wanted to be taken seriously by the hip-hop community, but at some point, he must have said, oh, screw it, I'm just going to cash in on this. In 1991, he was everywhere, even dating Madonna in a highly publicized eight-month romance. He also made Forbes' list of top-paid entertainers. He came in at number 40, making $18 million. And that money came from a slew of projects. After opening for MC Hammer, he headlined a major tour. He signed endorsement deals with Coke and Nike. He released a quickly written autobiography called Ice by Ice. A second album came out that featured mostly live versions of his previously released songs, and there was even a Vanilla Ice doll. Then there was this. Vanilla Ice performed the song Ninja Rap in the sequel to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, which pretty much killed any remaining street cred he had. The absolute final blow came, though, when Vanilla Ice starred in his own movie called Cool as Ice, which Rolling Stone described as career-killing. It can pretty much be summed up with this line. Drop that zero and get with the hero. 
It was a huge flop, making only a million dollars at the box office. So by the end of 1991, Vanilla Ice was a full-on pop culture punching bag. He was constantly targeted by Arsenio Hall and parodied on sketch shows like Saturday Night Live and In Living Color. Jim Carrey as Vanilla Ice was pretty brilliant. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm white and I'm capitalizing on a trend that's currently rising. Mix it with Curly and Larry and Mo. Even other white rappers turned on him. In 1991, Third Base released a song called Pop Goes the Weasel, which was a direct hit at Vanilla Ice. In the video, members of Third Base use baseball bats to beat up an actor playing Vanilla Ice. They clearly wanted to distance themselves from Vanilla Ice and his pop rap. In more recent years, Eminem has said he almost gave up rapping when he first heard Ice Ice Baby. After 1991, the downward spiral continued for Vanilla Ice. He was living large, buying several homes, expensive cars, boats, motorcycles, and partying pretty hard. For the next three years, he was in a drug-fueled freefall, doing heroin, ecstasy, and cocaine. Then one night in 1994, Ice says he overdosed, but he was saved by friends who found him on the floor in one of his mansions. They threw cold water on him and stayed with him until he regained consciousness. This could be another made-up story, but I guess it doesn't really matter, because either way, this was when Vanilla Ice made some changes. He stopped doing drugs and alcohol, got help from a psychiatrist, and eventually met his wife and had two kids. The couple divorced in 2017 after 20 years of marriage, and the rapper has since remarried and became a father again in 2018 at the age of 51. Vanilla Ice has spoken a lot about his quick rise to the top and his even quicker plummet back down to earth. He oscillates between bitterness and acceptance. He says it's unfair and unjustified that he was branded a white boy poser with no talent. And in his defense, he was no Milli Vanilli. Ice choreographed his dancers, wrote his lyrics, and produced much of his music. And he never lip-synced, even when his dance moves left him breathless. Ice admits, though, he did sell out for money, and things got way out of control. But hey, he was young and naive, and he wasn't the first novelty act to take the world by storm. Every generation has them, but none are despised as much as Vanilla Ice. Fortunately for Mr. Van Winkle, he invested his money well, mostly in property, which over the years grew to be a legit land development company. From 2010 to 2019, Vanilla Ice hosted a home reno show on the DIY network called The Vanilla Ice Project. He still has those chiseled good looks, but he's now covered in tattoos, and he's usually wearing a flat-top baseball hat, which, of course, can be purchased on the official Vanilla Ice merch website. Ice has taken a stab at the music industry a few times since 1990, including a foray into hardcore rap metal. He released a few independent albums, but never achieved anywhere near the kind of success he did with To The Extreme. In addition to flipping houses and making music, Vanilla Ice raced motocross bikes, opened a sports store, and has done so many reality shows, Dancing with the Stars, The Surreal Life, Celebrity Boxing, Celebrity Bull Riding, the list goes on. And for the past few years, he's been part of the I Love the 90s tour, which is now on hold because of COVID. 
In addition to Vanilla Ice, the tour has included Rob Bass, Biz Markey, Montel Jordan, CNC Music Factory, and Tone Loke. Oh, and this summer, he made the news after announcing he would host a concert in Austin, Texas, despite through-the-roof COVID numbers. He eventually took to Twitter to announce the event was cancelled. Happy 4th of July, and hopefully by New Year's, this corona crap will have a cure. Come on! Go, Ninja, go! We're ready to go. (laughs) Anyway, all the best, everybody. In July of this year, it was also announced that actor Dave Franco, brother of James Franco, has signed on to play Vanilla Ice in an upcoming biopic about the rapper. The film, which will be called To the Extreme, will chronicle the rise and fall of Vanilla Ice. Frankel told Insider recently that while he's been stuck at home during COVID, he's had phone calls with Ice about the project. Franco says Rob is such a sweet and intelligent guy, and he's been super helpful in the process of getting all the details correct and making us privy to information the public doesn't know. Because of the pandemic, as of yet, there is no start date for production. And keep an eye out for the release of the Smithsonian's anthology of rap and hip-hop, which was scheduled for release sometime in 2020. The 120-song, nine-CD collection features songs by artists you would expect in a history of rap and hip-hop, everyone from Cold Crush and Run DMC to Lauryn Hill and Ice-T. But Vanilla Ice is on there too. His song, Ice Ice Baby, one of the most maligned rap songs ever, is like it or not, a big part of rap history. Thanks for joining me on this look back at the tumultuous career of Robert Van Winkle, better known as Vanilla Ice. If there's a show you want covered, drop me a line. You can reach me through Twitter at 1990s History. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. You can also email me at 90s at curiouscast.ca. That's 90s at curiouscast.ca. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to our show so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. We're available for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else you get your streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. If you're new to the show, be sure to go back and check out some of our older episodes, including the one I mentioned, which was episode number 13. We looked at some of the top stories of 1990, which included the Millie Vanilli scandal. This show is hosted and written by me, Kathy Kinzora. Dila Velasquez is our story producer and sound design, and final production is by Rob Johnston. See you next time for more History of the 90s. 